Hey, Slay Nation, it's Heather, your host, back with another episode of the So She Slays podcast. I have been itching to get this next person on our podcast. I uh, was introduced to her through Julia Carroll. She was on our podcast a little bit ago around Mother's Day. She told me about Ruby Warrington. She's an author and publishing consultant, and we'll let her intro herself here in a second. But she wrote this book called Women Without Kids. And if you have been listening to this podcast at all, you will know that, you know, Chauncey and myself have very drastic views on this subject. But before we get into it, Ruby, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, Heather. Um, So yeah, I'm British by birth. I've been based in the US for about 11, 12 years now. Um, And my background's in journalism. And I transitioned into being an author, writing books and helping other people write books. That's what the publishing consultant piece is. About six, seven years ago with the publication of my first book, Material Girl, Mystical World. That was followed by my second book, Sober Curious, which is a term that I coined which has really helped to spearhead this global movement of people reevaluating their relationship with alcohol. And my new book, Women Without Kids, just came out. All of my books have been based, have, have started with a very personal like need slash desire to just dive really deep into a subject that's been very much on my mind and heart. Um, and this one, Women Without Kids, I mean, it's been something that's been oof, following me around since since I was a kid, since I was a kid. I mean. I was born a girl, like I'm a girl, and I was socialized as all girl babies are to believe that motherhood would was in my path, was my calling, was, if anything, my biological imperative. And even from a very young age, I questioned that. So mm. it's a question, should I be a, become a mother? Do I want to become a mother? Why don't I want to become a mother? These are questions I've been asking myself my whole life. These are questions I have been asked by other people my whole life. <laughs> and it was actually only on reaching my early 40s and looking ahead to the end of my reproductive years that I had, that I felt I, I had got the clarity that I needed to be able to really address this properly and to really dig deep into what my reasons have been for not having had kids. And by the way, I can tell you now, if throughout my twenties and thirties, everybody told me, you don't know what you're missing out on. You are going to regret this choice. At age 47, I have zero regrets. Who knows how I'll feel at 67, 77, for now in my life, I have no regrets. I know this has been exactly the right path. And all of that questioning was a result, I believe, of the intense societal pressure that exists for women, especially to become mothers in our society. Oh my gosh. You just opened up a whole can of worms and I'm so excited to, 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 to join in with this. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have always been very open about how unsure I am that children are in my future. Now, I don't exactly remember when I think I knew that I probably like, I mean, I'm about 75, 80% sure I do not want kids. And I'm sitting here at 34 years old, prime, you know, childbearing era over here. Um, and I am surrounded by people with kids. I'm surrounded by family members with children. And for the longest time, I always was just like, I don't know if I want them. I remember being with my high school sweetheart and being like, oh my gosh, when we have kids and blah, blah, blah. 
And then, you know, you, you get older and life kind of gets a hold of you. And then we're like, okay, is this a thing? I think I was 30 when I'm just, when I was like, oh shoot, should I be doing something? Should I go freeze my eggs? Like, am I, am I going to regret this choice? Mm. And I remember talking openly about it to a lot of people, friends, family, and I even talked to my dad about it and he was like, I just feel like I don't, I don't want you to miss out, like miss mm-hmm. out on something or whatnot. And I was just like, but I don't really feel like I'm missing out on anything. And he goes, but you say that now. And I was like, okay. I, I mean, I see, I, I hear you. I get your point. Um, but then I started seeing, you know, family members and their kids and yeah, they're great. But then I'm just like, then I see the other side of it too. And it's like, They literally live for their kids. They don't have time for themselves. They're stressed out. You know, it's like a whole laundry list of negatives that I'm just like, is that really the life I want? And Mm -hmm. it's always been no. So when you said that you've known you for a very, very long time, are you talking like teenage years? Are you talking like mid, like when did this revelation hit you? Well, first, I just want to put a pin in one thing you said, which was this whole idea about you're missing out on something when you don't have children. Mm. Yes, you're missing out on this very specific life experience of becoming a parent and producing offspring who are going to be part of your life for the rest of your days, hopefully, in an ideal world. Um, But there are so many things you miss out on when you become a mother, too. And we never really talk about or validate that side of the coin, you know? Um, so that's just something maybe we can come back to that. But... Oh my gosh, we're coming back to that next. <laughs> okay. So I um so I actually remember one of the first conversations, one of the first conversations I remember having with my mother when I was about five years old. And I was genuinely really confused as a little five-year-old girl why people were so obsessed with babies, especially women. I couldn't understand why people found babies so appealing. I didn't think they were cute. I thought that like baby animals were really cute. And this was kind of confusing. I was like, wait, baby animals are so cute. And baby humans are so like unappealing. They smell, they make all this terrible noise. They're really kind of ugly, wrinkly. Like I just couldn't get it. And she remembers me in that conversation, even saying to her at that point, mom, if I ever have a baby, I'm going to give it to you to look after. So there was something even at that very young age that was just kind of, um, yeah, maybe not for me. Um, And I always loved reading. I always loved writing. I was, when I, you know, sort of came through my late teens and was thinking about going to college and coming into the workplace, I was really excited about having a career in magazines and really pursuing that. It really lit me up. But there was, whenever the conversation around motherhood, child rearing, creating a family came up, it just left me cold. Like it was just Mm. a, no, if I was just purely going on the feeling of like desire in my body, like desire, what do I want for myself? What's exciting me? There were so many other things that held a real charge of excitement for me. And motherhood just always was a complete flat. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I spent my twenties wanting to want to be a mother. I had 30 marked off in my calendar. It's like, that's when I'll start wanting it. That was the age that my mother had me. I was kind of thinking that's the age when we kind of like grow up. Like That's when it all starts coming together. That's when it all starts coming together, right? And then I remember even like, getting coming, passing my 30th birthday and being like, almost like, am I feeling it? Am I feeling that urge, that baby fever? And it was just like, not there. This was confusing and upsetting to me in a way, because I was like, oh shit, maybe there's something actually 
physically biologically wrong with me or missing you know I don't know if oh my god I had that movie. same thought I was there's a like- movie that just came out on Hulu it's called Clock and it's a horror movie and it's about exactly this situation where there's this woman she just doesn't feel the baby fever she doesn't feel the urge and there's this kind of like almost like conversion therapy center where she goes to get pumped full of hormones and have therapy and stuff to kind of get her clock to kick in a whole other bit of a side tangent there but um <laughs> yeah this whole idea like if I people and, and this is this is the kind of age as well like 30s early 30s going through to mid 30s when friends and colleagues all start to have babies and actually in my magazine career I kind of really benefited from not wanting that because they would go off and this is in the UK mind you go off on their six month nine month one year long maternity leave and I would step in and fill in for them and kind of made all these like magazine contacts and kind of got a real boost in my career at that phase um but yeah they were all one by one slowly kind of going off to do this thing and I was just like oh oh is everyone gonna do this then did I did we not why have we not talked about this (laughs) And um, and then I realized that, yeah, well, this is just kind of so many people just do this. And for so long, I really felt like the only one. And then, like I said, it was when I kind of reached my early 40s, by which point I was living in New York. I kind of looked around and I realized that quite a few of my friends and colleagues had not had kids for many different reasons, all of them equally valid, some painful, some very kind of empowered. And this made me, this is one of the reasons I wanted to dive in and write this book. I was like, I was no longer feeling like I was the only one. I mm. felt that actually a lot of women were beginning to question whether they wanted to be mothers. A lot of women I knew also were even having like fertility issues in their thirties um, and unable to have the children they wanted. And I realized that women without kids are actually no longer the anomaly. We are a minority still, but a growing minority of women Um, And there didn't seem like there was a real conversation about what it meant to be a woman without kids, about all the different reasons we might pursue a different path. Mm. Okay. So let's go back to what we were, what you put a pin in Mm. all the things we always talk about all the things you're going to miss out on and never the things that you'll miss out on in the reverse. If you choose to, you know, have kids, but then, you know, regret it or you're like oh my god what am I, I'm looking at my friend who doesn't have kids and look at everything that I'm missing out on right I mean freedom 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 to make your own schedule to pursue yes. the things that you want to when you're I mean seriously I mean serious and also for anyone who does who is more ambitious and like really wants to make an impact in terms of their career their creative projects their activism like any other pursuit literally (laughs) than parenthood, unless you're an incredibly well-resourced person, I mean, unless you are wealthy, unless you have a very strong support network from kind of extended family, unless you have a very supportive employee and a very supportive partner, it's just going to be a real struggle to do it all. And Mm. I think that younger generations of women, meaning, you know, millennials and Gen X, uh, millennials and Gen Z primarily are kind of really shunning that idea of like having it all as being the ultimate dream. I think there's been a realization among women that actually I can't, there are a certain amount of hours in the day. I just can't do it all. And so, yeah, this is a question if you're really on the fence and you're still thinking, and you're on this kind of like, do I want this? Do I not? 
really consider what your priorities are. You know, um, if your priorities are around your career, if your priorities are around creating financial stability for yourself without having to rely on a partner for that, then yes, it kind of makes sense that you would not pursue motherhood at a stage in your life that are also you just, I guess it is unfortunate, right? Mm. That women, that women's fertility has a shelf life, which is why we see, you know, the popularity and the rise in interest in something like egg freezing. Um, but it is the reality and it's a reality that we, yeah, it, it may not feel fair, but it is the way it is. Right. And mm. so if there are other things I want for myself, um, to create for myself, just knowing the amount of time, energy, and resource that is going to be used up and soaked up by child rearing and mothering. If I pursue that path, then where, what are my priorities and, and, and how can I kind of make my peace, I suppose, with not having it all. Yeah. And that's, that sparks two things in me, the whole, um, just knowing that you like, like the freedom aspect of it. I always, Mm. I always tell people, I'm like, cause that's my answer. I'm like, I enjoy my freedom. I like doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Yes, I want to do it. (laughs) Same. I was like, I'm not going to feel bad about that. Good. Rock the hell out of anti-life. Yes. You know, I, I adore kids. I worked with them for 10 years. Love them. They're great. Um, I am a very privileged auntie to about, if everybody gets their wish, where I'm going to have like 10 nieces and nephews. Wow. Um, so it's like, I don't feel like I'm missing out at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like everybody else is procreating for me. I will have fun for a few hours. We'll go to the park or something. And then I give your kids back and I get back to my life. Um, (laughs) And I was like, to me, that is the best of both worlds um, in which I don't have any of the responsibility, but I get the fun times. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't tell you how many times that I, I see family members and the struggles and the worries and the stress that they're going through in, in child rearing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, every single time I hear this, it's like, I have empathy for you. I'm supportive. Absolutely. I give suggestions, but in the back of my mind, and even, even sometimes comes out my mouth. I'm just like, you know what? You're really telling me that I made the right choice. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, nothing about this do I envy. Right. Uh, so that and kind of, some, and, and some people I think do sort of get a lot out of the struggle of parenting and they find a lot of meaning in it. And there's a lot of, they, it's, they think it brings that they not think they experience it as bringing a lot of depth to their lives. And mm. I think sometimes when people say you'll be missing out, there's this other layer of kind of depth, which isn't always comfortable or pleasurable <laughs> that I think can be found in parenthood. So in the book, the first chapter is called the motherhood spectrum. And it acknowledges that rather than mothering being every woman's like natural, rightful, God-given role, some of us, not least because of our basic personality, are going to be more suited to that role than others and find more pleasure fulfillment in that role than others. And so what I hope that that does is give people permission to just really assess, like, what are all the factors, starting with my personality, to my family background, to my financial situation, to my career ambitions, to my relationship status, et cetera, et cetera, to my ancestral trauma that are going to impact how I feel about and what my experience of being a parent is and how can I apply that information to my decisions around my procreative potential, you know? 
So, Definitely. so for somebody like you who really values your freedom, I doubt that it's coming from a deeply selfish place of like, well, fuck everybody else. I don't want any responsibilities in my life. It's probably coming as it does for someone like me who actually, I just feel very, I start to get really antsy, really angry if I feel hemmed in. Mm, um, I need rats. a lot of alone time, a lot of solitude. I kind of need to be on my own schedule, not least because I'm wildly inconsistent from day to day in terms of how I feel, what I have capacity for. <laughs> Knowing these things about myself, I can map that against what I know about the challenges of parenthood and go, I think I would be very, very challenged in that role. I think I would be one of those parents who was consistently tearing my hair out on edge. I'm kind of a control freak. I'm kind of mm. a neat freak. All of those things really stress me out they don't stress other people out in the same kind of way. So I'm like, you go do, you go do that. I know what you I have need. fun. And it's <laughs> not sound great with parenthood. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I can, I can absolutely relate to you on every single thing you just said, because it is, it does come down to that. And I will say in the rise of more women that I know, especially not wanting kids or being okay without them, like a good amount of my close girlfriends, there's some that absolutely want children. Like Chauncey, mm-hmm. our co-founder, she wants kids. I know she wants kids. Um, but I have other friends that are very close that are, um, you know, they're either married or they're single or they're with their partner or whatnot. And they're just like, you know, we talked about it and I don't, I don't think so. You know, they're like, you know, we've been married for five years without kids and, mm, you know, we kind of, you know, we thought maybe we would, but like, if it's going to be difficult, like I have to do either infertility or he has to go through X, Y, and Z, like why? Right. Why? We are just fine. We are just fine. We have our freedom. We'll have the money to do whatever it is that we want to go do, so on and so forth. So that really, I feel like in at least you know, starting in that millennial generation and also younger, I'm I'm finding this conversation is coming up a lot more. What I really want to get back to too is you mentioned this in uh in your comment earlier about not having it all, like realistically mm-hmm. not being able to have it all. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering now what your thoughts are on on when it comes to men in this aspect where they can have the career and they can have the family, but in how the, that is almost kind of shifting a little bit too, because sometimes it's the man who's picking up the, the traditional, you know, female gender roles, quote unquote. So mm. there's a little bit of shifting happening in this whole, we can have it all world. What are your yes. thoughts? Yes, there is. And I think that that's, I mean, this has been the whole project of the feminist movement, right? And particularly the women's liberation movement. Like thinking back to your piece just very quickly there about people feeling like, you know what, I could do this, but there are other things that I might find just as fulfilling, actually. This has been something that women have only been able to consider for the past 50 years. Like in terms of kind of the mainstream, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. this, having other options in terms of education, career opportunities, other paths to fulfillment, travel, whatever it might be. These options, these doorways have been traditionally closed to women in a society where the very distinct kind of male, female gender roles were females do the birthing, the nurturing, the child rearing. They work inside the home. Males do 
the providing, the kind of exploring, the going out into the world and conquering. <laughs> very traditional, very old fashioned kind of gender roles. Now what second wave feminism and third wave feminism particularly have done is attempted to even the balance or kind of close the gap between the sexes or the sexes by making it, by opening some of the doorways that have always been open to men, to women. But mm. what hasn't, what has taken longer and is continuing to take a while <laughs> is for men to kind of feel more comfortable or know that it's actually okay for them to assume those more traditionally feminine gender roles, the caregiving roles. Mm. Now, when we think about the privileges that have been associated with masculinity, these are privileges of freedom, of autonomy, of self-determination. These are the kinds of privileges that feminism has fought for women to have. Autonomy over my body first and foremost. We are still in that fight, as we know, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, et cetera. Oh. <laughs> So that, that battle that's is far from other, one. Like, that's a whole other can of worms, Ruby. But when, <laughs> when, privilege, when freedoms, autonomy, self-authorship are privileges, truly having a child is a loss of privilege if it means losing those things. And so we wonder why males are not going, yes, yeah, sign me up, I'll be a stay-at-home dad, because that means a loss of freedom, a loss of autonomy. So it's just kind of we really need to start thinking about how can we privilege mothers? How can we reward and properly even, you know, remunerate mothers for the caregiving work that they do? How can we make that work less of a drag? How can we make that work less thankless? You know, if we really want more people to sign up and say, yes, I want to be a caregiver. I want to be a parent. How can we make parenting and caregiving more valued in society? I mean, it's a very big existential kind of question, but I think that while we're thinking about closing the kind of gap between the gender roles, it's something we really, really need to be thinking about. Like why, why is, why is the, the gendered, traditionally kind of female gendered role of caregiving and nurturing so unappealing? Why does it mean a loss of privilege, right? These are big questions to yeah. be thinking about. Yeah. That and that I feel like that brings up such a good point too, because I mean, with the loss, the loss of autonomy and all of that kind of stuff, um, it almost brings to point to kind kind of like bringing it back to my question and thoughts too is like, you know, how is this then changing the roles of men who choose to be stay at home dads or who choose to do a lot of of these, you know child rearing or even the people like I mean I I will say first and foremost I grew up in a progressive house mm. um I'm from a really small farm town but I think it wasn't until I I was like 30 that I really started looking back at my family and being like oh my gosh I grew up in a house where there was no gender roles at all wow, wow. like there was no gender roles we operated on a team basis where it's like, if you see a need, you fill a need, you pull your weight. If I have to go and do this, that means I can't do X, Y, and Z. So mm -hmm. you have to do X, Y, and Z so that we both get what we need done. It was that type of mentality, whether right. it was 
groceries, cleaning, baby, like whatever it is. I mean, was there times where obviously my dad was more inclined to go the, to the mechanic if the car, you know, um, started acting up? Sure. Cause none of us knew what the heck was happening, but he would also be, okay, well, I have to go into work early. You're going to have to take the car in. You need to tell them X, Y, and Z. And if you have questions, then you can call me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was it was a lot of see a need, feel feel a need type of a thing. And I'm realizing now as an adult that that is not the case in majority of such, like houses and families and stuff. Yeah, it's quite unusual. And what kind of model did you get from about being a mom then? Like, did your mom work as hot as much as your dad? Did they equally share the kind of child rearing? Yeah. So, you know, my mom quit. So she she had a job for like 15 years. She quit it and went back to school to get her master's. And so she was going to school and working full time. And she had my brother and I um, who are still living at the house. I have an older sister, but she was out on her own by that point. Mm -hmm. And my dad, who was working like an hour away, so he was commuting. So it was a lot of like very organized things that needed to happen at a certain amount of time. And, um, I always tease, I was like, they raised us by, you know, a clock and a calendar because everything had to work like, so if everybody Mm -hmm. was going to get things done and, but like my mom would take us to sports, she would be reading and doing homework while we were doing sports stuff. My dad would make it home before all of us cook dinner, make sure dinner's on the table. Like, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was like, so that everything fit just so, because the main goal was like. We still had, you know, kids to raise. We still had a house to run, but she was going back to school and she was working full time. And that meant she couldn't come home and cook dinner and do this and do that or whatever. Like he had to pull some weight that he probably wasn't used to pulling beforehand. But before that decision was made, my parents, you know, told me they're like, we talked it out, like what it would look like, you know, when I did this. And all, and, and, you know, that's how we prepared. And she goes, you know, it, it, it wasn't until later where I was just like, man, you know, my dad's like, when we were younger, we were, we would have chores, but he would be doing the cleaning and my mom uh, would be doing, you know, some laundry and so on. So like, it was very much shared across the board. And, you know, the only time I will say where things were like different was just like the amount of money that was brought into the household. That was all my dad's job happened to bring in more money. So he Mm -hmm. took larger chunks of the bills. And then my mom, you know, took what, you know, they agreed upon based off of her salary, but they didn't have a shared checking account. They have separate checking accounts. Right. So it's like, I like grew up in this household where I was like, everything was just a team effort. It was no, it was, it wasn't because you are a girl, you do X, Y, and Z and you are a boy, you do X, Y, and Z. It was not that at all. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like great modeling to me. It (laughs) sounds like great modeling of people just knowing themselves, knowing their needs and figuring it out, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's really progressive and it sounds really awesome. Like my parents separated when I was very, very young. So I really was raised in a household with just my mom doing the lion's share of everything. My dad Ooh. would come visit at the weekends, but it was kind of like he would swoop in and fun times would happen. He'd take us out for trips to the zoo. He'd take us to McDonald's. Like all the fun stuff would happen with dad. And then with mom, it was just the kind of daily slog of running the house and her trying to kind of juggle her very basic because she didn't have an opportunity to go to college. Like 
kind of just earn a living jobs, you know, hourly wage jobs. She actually went back to school when she was like 60 and got her psychotherapy degree and had a whole kind of second career in her later life. Once my brother and I were like, well out of the nest, you know, um, but the model I kind of got was like being a mom looks really hard and stressful and being a dad looks really fun. So I kind of want to be the dad. So that means not having like giving birth to children. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> It's but kind I, of interesting. I mean, I feel like that's the general model that a lot of people base their decisions off of. Like, like you said yeah. before, you know, we have to figure out a way to make child rearing and having kids seem less horrid. Right. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, there's nothing like you. You cannot sell me on this because you do not look like you're having fun. Okay. Well, I think there's been, so there has been, I would say in the past decade, a real kind of explosion of like honest mom blogs. I think Glennon Doyle has been like, obviously a spearheader of that, but women kind of talking about like, this is what it, how hard it really is to be a mom. And I think that's been a really necessary counterpoint to what was the pervasive message, which is like, motherhood is where I'll find my ultimate fulfillment. And if I'm not fulfilled in the role, then there's something wrong with me. And I better keep quiet because it makes me a bad mother if I'm not enjoying every minute of this. Mm. So I think it's been very very necessary for there to be a platform for people to say this is how it really is it's really hard a lot of the time it sucks but I do also think that that's putting people off <laughs> you know the fact that so many more women are now feeling empowered or emboldened to share the kind of like the nasty parts or the the difficult parts of parenting um has been kind of a reality check I think mm. but if anything more information is better. Like if, better any, if, that's helping, if that's helping people kind of really weigh up, okay, do I have what it takes? And if I am going to be a parent, what do I need to have in place? Do I need to have a partner who is signed on and like a fully like, yes, 50% of the, the changing of the diapers is on me. And I fully, I'm up for that. And I want to do that. Like my brother had a kid. He always really wanted to be a dad and he and his partner sadly have divorced but they split the childcare like literally 50 50 every week it's there's a handover halfway through the week he has the kid halfway time she has the kid for the other half of the time and so that's a very kind of equal um split in terms of the child rearing and he loves it like he loves being a dad and he loves that role you know but then he's also he wasn't raised in our family. He wasn't raised to believe that his role as a man was to accumulate status, to mm. have a certain in, like kind of career or salary. But he he those weren't modeled to him as kind of ideals in a way. And so he didn't, as a man, grow up feeling like his worth was very tied to his career or tied to his job title or tied to his salary or tied to the car he owns or whatever so he doesn't place value in those things that's progressive in itself exactly exactly and so I think that um yeah it's been really amazing to watch them model and you were talking about you know your co-host and you you had Julia on talking about being a solo parent mm -hmm. I had a great model of this recently from a woman named um Savia Wade she has a book out called Birthing Liberation she calls herself mm. the Black Doula and in this conversation she just kind of dropped in she's a doula right she works yeah. with women and children and this is like her life she kind of dropped in like oh yeah I never had any desire to have biological children but I co-parent two children with my friend and I was like you what <laughs> that sounds that kind of amazing that is a thing like why not why not if you if you want to be a parent or you 
you're you're having trouble finding the right kind of quote unquote romantic partner to have children with the technology now exists for people to be solo parents and to have biological children if that's what they want why not enlist a friend or friends to help you in the raising of those children why not i think this century we're going to see some really really progressive and diverse conversations about what it means to actually make a family and like you kind of modeled by talking about your family what are the actual needs of everybody involved like if we took away traditional gender roles and we took away how it should look what do we actually need to make this work and what are all the different resources we have that Mm -hmm. we could call on to kind of make this family situation work you know I definitely think that that's a topic too, where it's like, I feel like the quote unquote traditional family is very much getting a, a, a revamp, a revamp, a, a remix in itself. Yeah. Um, because it's a thing and blended families are now so much more. I mean, I come from a blended family, mm-hmm. uh, so it's very much a, a real life thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I honestly see all the amazing qualities that that brings I do not see negative qualities at all Mm. in having Mm. blended family I just don't I've lived it my entire life I do not see one negative aspect of it at all are there Mm. some conversations that maybe you would never have if you did not have a blended family sure whatever but I mean if anything it just makes you a better communicator right (laughs) (laughs) yeah So um, I want to get into your book a little bit more and just like in the topics that you talk about in it. Mm -hmm. So, well, there's the motherhood spectrum, which is this kind of like universal idea that I kind of present as to like, wait, let's just step back from the idea that motherhood is every woman's biological imperative and allow us to really assess and give ourselves permission for it to be normal and natural even to like assess, is this, am I suited for this? So then I talk about everything from like intergenerational healing. The concept that actually when I don't have children, something is ending with me. Something in my lineage is coming to a stop. So what do I know or what could I learn about the women and the mothers in my family and what their experiences have been that I could actually maybe think about my decision not to have children as a way of kind of bringing a stop to that in my lifetime. Any kind of suffering that the women in my lineage might have experienced. So that's kind of a deeper part of exploration that people might be interested in. I look at just in general kind of the role of feminism in determining what different different avenues are available to us as women and how we can be we should be celebrating that you know rather than trying to keep women in this box this mother-shaped box you know um I talk about okay this is a kind of an edgy one I talk about so I describe myself as being almost a reproductive the way that some people describe themselves as being asexual Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. zero desire that area of life just holds no interest for me I can actually kind of relate to the that as a as almost like a sexual orientation if we think about how our reproductive capacity is obviously incredibly deeply linked to our sexuality could no desire for children almost be a kind of sexual orientation that's a bit more out there idea that I present as kind of discuss okay. in the book as well <laughs> you know okay okay um I talk about I talk about this concept of not having it all of how it's unrealistic and how to really determine like what kind of a life we do want and what sort of choices we can be making to kind of like move towards that life I talk in depth about the lapsed societal duty of care towards mothers and families like we saw just this week 
uh, you know, it's a, it's a few weeks ago, considering when the episode's going to be out. But just this week, Elon Musk slashed paid leave at Twitter from 20 weeks to two weeks. This is somebody who is out there consistently talking about the dangers of population collapse and how women need to be having more children and how selfish it is not to be having children. And here is someone who now is just, yeah, making it even harder for women to square their need for financial stability and support from their employer with the actual realities of their job. So I go at depth into kind of this, this duty of care that we have towards mothers and children and families, um, which is not being met by by so well, many and, industries and you, you know? want to add more on top of that is the rising cost of childcare. oh exactly completely so yeah. i'm i'm like again you are not painting this very great picture you are painting a picture full of not only am i stressing to raise another child but i'm stressing on how the heck i'm gonna take care of this child yeah, like how exactly. you want me to have kids but i can't one afford it because exactly. I'm, I'm not barely afford able, to look after I was myself. Like, I'm not even able to support myself, or exactly. like hanging on by a hair over here. So exactly, you want to add an infant into this, and then you're going to exactly. add all of like the diapers and the food and the care. I'm like, oh my gosh, with no way. consideration for the impact on that child of being raised by a mother or parents who are severely stressed financially. Like financial mm-hmm. stress is number the one, one of the number one causes of suicide in this country. It's not to say that people are selfish or greedy for like, I don't know, wanting to have a little bit more than enough in their bank account and not be living check to check. (laughs) It's just completely inhumane. Like the reality is it's very expensive to raise a child and the cost of living crisis is really not helping that. Um, I talk about found families and different ways to think about family when we don't have children and the importance of that for women without kids. Um, I talk about the importance of, kind of inner child healing work, mothering ourselves, inner parenting, these sorts of conversations to go on the more kind of like healing tip. And then I talk finally about legacy, the idea about like, what are we actually leaving behind when we don't have children? How can we start living our lives super intentionally today? How can we start really thinking about every choice that we make and every action that we make? as a way of like leaving legacy as well? Like we think about legacy and I don't know if you've got this from your family, but I've definitely heard you know, people, people whose parents, even grandparents are like, but what about the family line? Like you can't, Mm. it's selfish not to continue the line. What about like, you know, you, it can't just end with you. (laughs) And so this whole kind of idea around legacy and what am I leaving and how can I make my life count? Just more expansive ideas about that. And then I suppose, you know, finally, finally this, the um, climate change piece. And I know for younger generations, especially the question about the kind of a world that I am bringing my children, I'm potentially bringing my children into is a really, really big concern that I just don't think is taken seriously by older politicians and quote unquote captains of industry, especially. And I think there is a whole cohort of younger women who are basically saying, not necessarily directly or overtly, but with their actions until governments are prepared to take consolidated and serious and fast action on carbon emissions, I am not going to bring a child into this planet. It's just not safe. And so that's a very real concern that I think will become a lot louder and hopefully will be taken more seriously as again, we move forward through the coming decades. Absolutely. And and about that legacy part too, I mean, I do have a younger brother who is married and and they want kids. Um, 
whether they have them or not, I, I, I don't um, know. But um, as far as that goes with leaving a legacy, I think you are absolutely correct. At least myself, I've taken the initiative being like, you know what, I'm not going to have kids. And I always say like, you know, we spoke a little bit off of it offline, a little bit about this, that I sometimes I can be wishy-washy about that. Mm. But I always talk to like, if I'm dating somebody, I'm like, if you know, for a fact, you want children, do not come to me. I'm like, because I, I don't know. Some days, yes. Some days, no. There are more no's than there are yeses. Mm -hmm. So if you know for sure that's what you want, I am the wrong person mm -hmm. um, because I can't guarantee you that's ever going to change. Right. So there's like that, like there's that aspect of like the not, the not having kids too. Like for women, sometimes you're just like, I don't know. It's okay if you don't know. I mean, the older I get, the more I start realizing more about who I am as a person and what I want to do in life and what I need as a person mm -hmm. that, that there's a reason why there's more no's than yeses. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that kind of comes with age and yeah, getting to know experience. yourself and experience yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So there is that like room of limbo where you're just like, I don't really know. Um, and that is fine. What I will say about legacy is that I have become very intentional about the way I live and mm -hmm. what type of systems I put in place, what type mm -hmm. of advice, what type of things I do, what am I going to be able to do that will then help other people, well, you know, so on and so yes. forth. The legacy still remains intact. It's just yes. not withheld in a person. Right. It's not about you putting your genetic imprint into another human being and sort of quote unquote living on in them in that way. And I sometimes feel like this question of like, but who will survive you after you're gone actually comes from a fear of death. It comes from mm. this fear of like, when I'm gone, oh my God, then what, you know? And I think that for some people having a child, kind of softens that fear of, of just not being here anymore and the world going on without me once I've gone, you know? And so I think, again, that's quite another deep existential, but we're talking about, you know, the future of the human race. So, so yeah, we can get a bit not existential a small with it. Not a small thing, but I do think, you know, actually every action that we take today can, when with intention, be taken with some kind of an eye on like how is this going to impact future generations how is this going to impact on my community how is this how am I going to be remembered for this you know mm -hmm. even if it's just by one or two people <laughs> it all counts it all adds up I think and I, I think it's very I'm so glad you mentioned that piece about dating I think it's really good that you're having those conversations with people really early on I do know that this can be it can become a real sticking point in relationships obviously if one of you wants to have a child and the other one doesn't this can be the make or break and what I think is so interesting almost exclusively where I've been having conversations about this for the past year or so where it ends up with a couple breaking up in heterosexual couples it is typically the man who wants to have children and the woman who doesn't. And I think that actually says a lot about what we as women just instinctively know about how, for the most part, the, the, the most work, the brunt work will fall to the woman because Absolutely. we still have these very kind of binary ideas about who's responsible for childcare and who, rather who it comes naturally to. Right. That's it. Who it comes naturally to. Yes. That is the very old fashioned social conditioning that we have around parenting and child rearing. It comes naturally to women because women are built to bear children. 
every child is the result of a male and a female, a sperm and an egg. It's like reproduction 101. <laughs> if it comes naturally to women, it comes naturally to men. <laughs> But that's, that is the thing. It does. And we've only just lived in a society that has um, reinforced those traditional roles, correct? And that's why Mm -hmm. when you see the rise of stay-at-home dads or like dads that are caregivers, it's a little like weird. And a lot of people are not really sure what to do. But it's like, there are just some men who are very natural in that as well, or or who take more enjoyment from it. Exactly, exactly. Like my brother being a prime example of that. He lives that and I see it in him every day. When he spends like, he'll get to the end of his part of the week when he doesn't have his kid. He's like, I can't wait, I miss him so much. And it's so beautiful to see him taking so much enjoyment from his role as father. And I would really love to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations between men and women and the men are going, I really want to be a dad. I really want to have kids really? Do you really want to be the one who's having to stop everything in your work day at 3 p.m., go do the school pickup, make sure the dinner is on the table, change the diapers, make sure that you've organized all of their play dates? Do you really want that? If you were the one who was responsible for 80, 90% of that work, would you still be saying, I really want to have kids? If the answer is yes, fucking fantastic. Great. We need more men like that. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I can't even tell you there. I have girlfriends who have, you know, significant others who are, yes, I want kids. I want kids. And the girls are like, mm, I don't know about that. Like if the, if like, is that a deal breaker for you? Like, right. yeah, <laughs> because they, for that exact reason, they're like, I know I have seen, I have heard like that. Nothing about that sounds appeasing to me. Right. You know, or I just know how much I am going to have to sacrifice of my own dreams, desires, freedom, autonomy in order to do this thing. If you part potential partner are prepared to make that same level of sacrifice as it sounds like your dad was Mm -hmm. great. Maybe we can talk about it, but until we're really on the same page about what actually entails in material real world, everyday terms of like how, how our time and money and energy is spent, then yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, agreed. Oh my gosh, Ruby. Okay. Where can people follow you, find you, buy your book, so on? So the book is Women Without Kids, The Revolutionary Rise of an Unsung Sisterhood is the subhead, which I kind of love. Um, and that's wherever you can buy books, hopefully, if my publisher is doing their job. <laughs> and um, I'm, quite, I'm I'm fairly active at the moment on Instagram at Ruby Warrington. So you can find me kind of posting updates and and talking about this subject there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. I've had an amazing time on this podcast. Love talking about this stuff. Until next time, Slay Nation, we'll catch you later.